see. I can't remember if it was in 1993 or 92. Might have been, might have even been 1994. But I think, I think it was between 92 or 93. Um, there was a ministry in Yakima that had been had a had had a long-standing tradition, and I was familiar with it. I'd 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 uh, been to conferences and been around, and it was run by a Christian couple who looked like they were from the 1970s. They wore um, outdated clothing, and she was a bit dowdy, and he was overweight, and um. They were very excited about what they did. What they did was they ran a sort of Christian halfway house. Halfway house isn't the right word. It's, it's almost like a sanctuary um, for abused women or for needy women or for women who were in a rough spot and had nowhere to turn. Um, it wasn't until sometime afterwards that I realized it was mostly former drug addicts and... Uh, who were trying to escape from the drug lifestyle and their pimps. So all these women were in really rough shape. Um, <clears throat> and one day, uh, on a Sunday, they came to speak at our church. And It's not uncommon for churches to invite ministries, especially the local ministries, to make presentations on a Sunday and then take up an offering in order to help them out financially. Sometimes they would sell swag out in the foyer, and, and uh, maybe there might be a performance if they had any anything to perform. <laughs> well, this halfway house had a choir, and they sang a few hymns or worship songs. And um, one of the women was a blonde woman in her, in her 30s who, who, who was neither ugly nor plain, uh, and she stood out from the crowd partly because she was younger than, or appeared to be younger than many of the women there who had had an obviously hard lifestyle and were missing teeth and were overweight. But this woman was uh, somewhat slender and, and she reached across uh, her body and, and held the throat of a woman standing next to her during the entire choir performance. Uh, which was curious. It wasn't until after the service was over uh, that, and she she walked up to m- my parents uh, in in the company of of the director and um, the man with the sideburns, and began to speak. That I realized she was completely deaf. Couldn't hear a thing. Now in the nineteen nineties. As opposed to now, what really stood out was that there was no internet. The world was bigger. Everything was more spread out. It was considered a trip to go to Tri-Cities and go to Costco to pick up uh, supplies. And it was considered a bit of a sojourn to go down there. And uh, it was considered a long drive to go to Yakima. And people would get isolated within their communities, which was a good thing. People knew each other. People knew each other's first name, last name, their kids' names, especially if they grew up in the same neighborhoods. And um, 
the way that you communicated was sometimes by mail and by telephone. So if you wanted to find somebody, uh, you had to have their phone number or you had to know where they were at or have an address. And uh, if someone wanted to disappear, it was as easy as getting a Greyhound bus out of town. And you could just start life over somewhere else. Um, now, that's technically true now, but it it is a little bit trickier when everything is available online. It's a lot easier to find people now that the database is available. But back in the 90s, if you wanted to disappear, you just left town. Um, so my mom hit it off with this woman because this woman was able to communicate with my mom, who was extraordinarily hard of hearing. Mom seemed to be able to kind of track what she was saying, even though when she spoke, um, her vowels sounded odd as she spoke through her nose. Like most deaf people, she, she had never really heard her own voice. She'd felt it more than anything. But when my mom spoke to her, um, she would use gestures occasionally, but not American Sign Language. And, uh, but with the gestures and the pronunciation and just kind of the understanding that was established, they were able to communicate effectively. And she really, really resonated with my mom. Now, my parents had something of a reputation in the charismatic churches because Bill, it was widely gossiped that Bill uh, believed that Christians could have demons. And this was a bit scandalous. Um, that uh, demonic possession and demonic oppression was uh, something that people needed to deal with. Now, this resulted in uh, my father receiving, occasionally receiving discreet phone calls to consult over um, harassment or possible demonic involvement in people's lives. Now, it is very tempting, especially after reading uh, the book, uh, deliver us from evil to believe that everything's a demon the flesh the the old man the um the fallen nature as it were but when you're dealing with the demonic you have to face it with faith and you have to renounce it now i'll get into my, some of my thoughts on the book later but right now i need to stick with this story so so bill gets his phone calls and he gets his consults and word, word kind of gets around and and the pastor of the church, Hope for the Nations, um, a man named Frank East and his wife, Mary East. Um, Frank and my dad would, would, uh, would kind of compare notes and, and keep one another informed as to what was going on. And uh, this young woman at night... Uh, was experiencing some problems. She said that she was attacked and it was as if she was getting hit by a stick at night in the dark. Um, something was striking her and she was getting bruises. And the couple that were hosting the halfway house consulted with my parents and they said, hey, uh, I need to talk to you guys. And it came out that this young woman had been raised in a demonic um, um, forgive me uh, 
a satanic cult. Um, her parents were heavily involved, and she had participated in a great many ceremonies. And what would happen is she would be made pregnant, and during the demonic ceremony, or uh, forgive me, during the uh, satanic ceremonies, uh, they would perform human sacrifices by way of abortions. And this young woman had participated uh, in these abortions as the uh, mother, uh, the mother that, that had her baby aborted in the ritual. Now, um, she was disclosing this, and it, it also came out that, that um, the halfway house people didn't want it to be common knowledge, um, that she had escaped from the west side and come over and uh, was, was working uh, at uh, pursuing Christ. And she was excited and she was delighted to be a part of, of this uh, Christian group of women in this halfway house and to be away from it all and for Christ to have covered her sin and even the sin of murder and uh, the sin of, of Satan worship. But she was still experiencing demonic harassment. As a young man, I was astounded to hear uh, of this human sacrifice. Um, and it seemed incredible. Uh, there was a great deal of incredulity that, and skepticism that really flowed out of Christians uh, in the 90s when it came to this kind of behavior. They would roll their eyes and say, all right, but you can't prove any of this. So how do we know she's not just some attention seeker who's making things up? Um, and I was, it was explicitly impressed upon me that I should not, under any circumstances, um, disclose to my friends um, the things that, that my parents were talking about as they were discussing this woman. Um, and we all agreed that uh, we would kind of keep it under wraps. It's not until... Um, it's not until now, you know, it's 2021. It's quite some time later. She's uh, no doubt moved many times since then, and it's unlikely that her parents are still alive. But she had escaped the cult, and the reason she was in Yakima was so that the cult wouldn't find her and murder her. <laughs> 